The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. All right, well, we are continuing our series this morning in the book of Galatians, and we are looking at the gospel of freedom. And I'm excited about today's message, and uh, you'll, you'll see when we get there. You're going to wonder why when I read the passage, but when I get to the second half of the passage and just kind of what the Lord has been showing me and what he's been uh, just kind of putting on, on my heart, my prayer is that that will translate through the Spirit this morning, that you will feel the, the joy of God on you. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them to Galatians chapter 3. will be verses 15 to the end. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, that's a free gift. You can take that with you. Uh, if you need one with large print, the red Bibles are it. Uh, more and more, I'm needing one of those. And then uh, if you just are holding your coffee and you got kids and you got stuff, you can just follow along on the screen. Sound good? All right. Well, Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read our passage for today. It says this. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Well, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord for us. Pray with me. 
Father, we thank you for this passage we're about to just spend time meditating in, thinking on. May it be placed into our soul, not just into our mind. May it resonate in the deep places. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just shine the marvelous light of Christ into those areas that just need to be lit up, that haven't felt your affection for some time. That we would understand what Paul is saying about this promise that comes through Christ and what it means to be heirs, to be sons and daughters, to be one. Father, we pray that this would not just be a moment where we see the logic and think how smart Paul was in understanding these deep things, but may it be a moment where in seeing what Paul is exhorting us in, we are transformed, we are changed. Help us to apply what we read. So we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, verse 15, we start off here, and he says this. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. We all like to make deals, don't we? How many of you guys like the yard sale? You like to go make a deal. It's like, $2, I'll give you $1.50. You know, like, we're all like that, right? And when we finally make big deals purchase of a house or purchase of a car, we sign contracts, right? That's, like, that's not foreign to us. We all make deals and sign contracts. And so when you bought your house or, or bought a car, you, you most likely signed a contract that outlined what you would do and what that seller would do. And that becomes binding. Like that's put in place. It does not change unless it's agreed upon. And if it does change, then there's usually a penalty that is put in place. Well, it's not unheard of to, to think about contracts. Even in the scriptures, there was a contract that was made by Jacob and Laban. In Genesis 31, verses 49 to 53, Jacob worked for Laban many, many years to get his wives. And then he continued to work for Laban. And then he realized that Laban's favor had turned away from Jacob. And so Jacob felt it was time to go, to take his wives, to take all of the livestock, to take all of his possessions and leave. And so as he left, I'm not going to read this, by the way. I'm just going to give you the cliff notes, all right? So write it down if you want to go back. But as he left, Laban pursued him. And they come to this place in Gilead, and there is a place there where Laban set up a, an altar, and Jacob set up an altar, a pillar of stones. And one was called Gilead of Gilead, the, the heap of witness. And the other one was Mizpah of Gilead, the watch post of Gilead. That's what they named these two, these two things that they had set up. And the contract was this. We have nothing more really to do with each other. But as I go, may the Lord watch between you and me. 
Now, we see that on mugs and different things. It's like, oh, that's such a nice thing. May God watch between you and I as we're apart from each other. This was a contract that said, if you cross this heap of stones and come after me and my family, may God smite you. May he curse you. May he bring things against you. You know, like he's, he's going to get you. And if I do it, if I come across your outposts of heap of witness and I come after you, may God do that to me. It's like, may God watch between us. Why? Because I don't have eyes in the back of my head and I don't trust you. That's the contract, that God is witness and he's going to watch between us, that we are doing the right things and treating each other the right way. <laughs> so next time you see that on a mug, you'll be like, oh, it has a very different context in the Bible. Uh, you know. So there was a contract. The deal was struck. They set up their, out, their, their, their heap of witness, their, their, their uh, pillar of stones. They made a promise, and it was not to be gone against. Verse 16 in our passage, we read this. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So the promise given by God to Abraham is about his seed, one. It's about the one to come, the Messiah. It's about Jesus, who would fulfill the promise that God gave to him. And that promise is to bless all nations. We have been blessed in Christ. We're part of the fulfillment of what Jesus has done. We have been blessed with salvation in Christ. So that is what Paul is talking about. This promise is to come. It's to Abraham that one of his seed, Jesus, would come. Verse 17, he continues, and this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So the law came later. The promise came first. The promise was given. And then the law came. So the law came later to the people, but it does not remove the promise. It doesn't nullify it. It doesn't make it void. See, God swore his covenant, his promise by himself. If we go back in Genesis and we look, actually he has a deep sleep fall over Abraham. He has Abraham set up a sacrifice. He cuts the animals in half and he lays them down in two pieces. And God passes through it and makes the covenant and makes the promise. And he vows by himself, not by Abraham. So he makes this covenant. He swears by himself. So it's his character and his, his name that is at stake. So he does not bear false witness, nor does he remove his promises. We see that in Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? When we see the promises of God in the scriptures, we can, we can rest on them. They're not going to shift. They're not, they're not shifting sand. We can say, yes, God has promised this, and it's by his character, by who he is, by his own name. I can trust this. He will not revoke it. He is not one who lies. He will fulfill it. 
And so he's made the promise. And that's what Paul is pointing out in our passage. God made the promise, but then later comes the law, but the law does not remove the promise. Verse 18 in our passage. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So if the promise was based on law, well, it should have come at the same time, but it doesn't, right? 430 years later, we have the law. So he says, if the promise was based on law, then that would change the covenant. It would change the promise from faith to works. And that's where the devil dupes most of us, right there. He gets us to live by works. He gets us to live by trying to fulfill the scriptures in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own ways. Like we read and we're like, I got to do this. I got to do that. Why? So I can get the promise. I, like, I have to earn the promise. I have to do this. No, that's by works. That's not by faith. You can't earn your salvation. The promise was given by God and, and it's by him that it's fulfilled. You just receive. By faith, you just receive. But he's going to talk about the law. Like, okay, well, we have this. Verse 19 and 20, he says this to us. So why then the law, right? Well, if it's all by faith and he gives us the promise, well, then why in the world do we have the law, right? Good, great question. It was added because of transgressions or because of sin until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So here we see that, that the law comes because of sin. And it does a couple of things. The law does a couple of things that are important. One, it, it reveals God's holiness. It reveals his standard. God speaks to mankind and says, this is what holiness looks like. This is how it behaves. This is how it thinks. This is how it lives. That standard in some way restrains men from rebellion and keeps us from foolishness. It restrains us because we see what God has said and it keeps us from being foolish. Now, I have a video clip here of the little dogs on the prairie. Anybody ever see that? Like most of you probably are like, I don't know. It's from Tommy Nelson. I watched this over and over and over. I think it was with Caleb right, that, that watched it. So I love this. We, she has to fast forward to the part. So I'm kind of killing a little time as she gets there. You're watching like, hey, it's going, it's going. It's all right. So uh, this kind of illustrates what happens with the foolishness of man without the law. So go ahead. You wouldn't happen to carry doodly-doos, would you? Nah, I doubt I could pass those off as doodly-doos. Wait a minute. Do they taste anything like cheese? Sure, I'll hold. Bye, Mr. Hollister. Huh? Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, listen, I'll take a case of the shiny ones. I gotta go. Darcy! Hey, she just stole that lollipop from me. Where'd she go? She's not gonna get away with this. Out to lunch. Be back in an hour. Just great. There's no law on the land. 
I'll have to take matters into my own hands. I have no choice. If Darcy can steal from me, then I can steal from Darcy! Wait a minute. What does Darcy have that I want? Now Gilroy, on the other hand, that does it! If Darcy can steal from me, then I can steal from Gilroy! Ha! I've been waiting for this day for a long time. <laughs> it's foolish. And some of you are going to be like, how does it end? I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to go look up the little dogs on the prairie. It's so fun. But it's foolishness. Without the law, he's like, there's no law in the land. I'm just taking it in my own hands. I'm just going to do what I think is right in my own eyes. The law reveals God, his nature, his purposes, his character. He, he shows us who he is. He talks to us. And it restrains us in some ways and keeps us from foolishness. Well, there's another thing that it does. By revealing his holy standard, mankind then also can see how off the mark he is. It says that we all fall short of the glory of God. When we read the scriptures, we see clearly just how short we come. So it highlights that need for the promise to be fulfilled, that we need a Savior. So it makes the promise become so beautiful. He says, I am sending one to redeem you. And it's like, well, that's great. And then you read the law, and you see just how wretched you are. And he says, don't forget, I'm sending one to save you. And you say, thank you. Thank you, God, because I need a Savior. So the law was to prepare us for Messiah. It was to make us ready. It was to, it was to get us ready to receive Jesus. So Jesus, having come and fulfilling the promise, he does so by fulfilling the law. He didn't come to destroy it. He didn't come to, to remove it, but he fulfills the law and in the new covenant makes himself the way we approach God. See, in the Old Testament, we see that they had to do ceremonial washings and cleansings and they had to come the right way and they needed a priest and he had to do all the right things to make himself right and they had to bring the sacrifices. And so Jesus fulfilling the law, we no longer have to do all that. He is the way that we now come to the Father. It's through him. So we can now approach God. We don't need a fallen human priest we have Christ, the God-man, who is of the line of Melchizedek, a priest forever in the throne room of God, interceding for us, making a way for us to come. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is who mediates for us. This is who we confess to. This is who we bring our our life before who goes before the Father on our behalf, Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, 
that our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We can draw near. We can come in. We have a priest who's made us able to draw near. His name is Christ Jesus. This is, this is just that beauty of the fulfillment of the promise. He's done what we cannot do, fulfilled the law. And he has done what we cannot do, take the full penalty of our sin upon himself. And he has become the living way in which we come to the Father. So this is what Paul's talking about. He's like, the law is important. It gets us ready. It helps us see God. It helps us understand. It helps us celebrate the promise that is fulfilled. Verse 20 is, is a really interesting verse. Um, I had it at 19.20. If you go back to that, um, it says, uh, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place, this is the interesting part, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, this is a very interesting passage. Some commentaries just skip right over it. What do you do with that? How do you handle this? It's put in place by angels and intermediaries and, and trying to understand it. And others talk about it in different ways, and, and they kind of go to the big argument. But I want to just take a moment and think for a second. There was one person that said it, it, it comes up in tradition that there was angels there by tradition and they had helped to give the law to Moses. If you go back into the Old Testament, and you go to that moment where Moses is up on the mountain, you don't read about angels. You don't read that there's angels there. It's, it's the cloud has come over the mountain. Moses goes up. He's there with God. God's speaking to him. And, you know, he comes down with the law. You know, I, was, I made sure. Like, I went back and I was reading. I was like, I don't remember angels at that. And then there's this tradition that angels were there. Well, why are we having Paul bring tradition in? Doesn't that seem weird? But yet, this is the word of God. Wait, so it's the word of God. It's fully trusted. So this tradition, the Holy Spirit said put this in there. Okay, well, now I'm like, well, I got to wrestle with this. So what do I do? I need scripture to interpret scripture for me. I need to go back and start digging a little bit. I need to start saying, does this show up in other places? And it does. It shows up in other places. Psalm 68, 17 talks about the host being on the mountain. Acts 7, 53, again, talks about angels being there. Hebrews 2, 2 talks about it. And Deuteronomy 33, 2. There's a lot happening on the mountain. And what we see on, out of those passages is that the hosts of heaven are actually there with God when he's speaking to Moses. Don't come near the mountain or touch it or you'll die. Why? Because my army's encamped on it. It's not just his glory. It's not just his presence. Think about the passage of Elisha where he is surrounded by the enemies of God and the servant comes out and he looks out and he's like, we're in trouble. We are surrounded by the enemy and and we don't have any army here. And he runs back in and get the prophet. He's like, Elisha, you got to come out. Look, the armies are out here. We're surrounded. We're in trouble. And Elisha prays. And he says, Lord, open his eyes to see what I see. And God opens the eyes of the servant. What does he see? The hosts of heaven on the mountains around the army that surrounded them. <laughs> right? He's like, 
we're not in any danger. These angels of the Lord are encamped around the enemy who's here with us. The angels of the Lord were on the mountain. Maybe we don't read it in that passage of the Old Testament with Moses speaking with God, but Moses becomes that intermediary with, uh, with mankind, comes down with the law that God gave, and the hosts were there. And so Paul's bringing that out. He says, there, the angels were there. It was given, and there's this intermediary who becomes Moses, but one who is better than Moses, Christ, has come, fulfilled the promise, and he is the mediator that we need. He is our mediator. So verses 21 through 22, it says this, is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Well, if we have the promise and the law kind of helps, is it contrary? Do we need it? He says, like, well, it's certainly not contrary. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So the law then imprisons us. The law isn't the promise, and it's not evil. It's not contrary, but there's a problem with the law. The problem is this. The law is powerless. It is powerless to give you the strength and the ability to keep all that it demands. It's just, this is what's required. But it does not give you what you need to fulfill it. And again, this is where we get duped by the devil. He says, you can do it. Just use that Western grit and spit and get to it at this and pull up your bootstraps and you can do it. And we say, yeah, I can do it. And the law says, you can't do this. This is what's required. This is what's demanded. You can't fulfill me. It actually shuts us up in sin. It imprisons us. We are now imprisoned by sin. And you're like, well, I'll do the law to get free. You can't do the law to get free because the law was the sheriff. The law is what puts you in the prison. <laughs> it's like counterintuitive. It's like, I'm just going to do this and I'll be free. No, the law is what puts you there. Sin and the law have imprisoned you. You're, you're in this cell and you're stuck there. The only way out, Paul is saying, is by faith in Christ. The only way that we get free is that the law is fulfilled. So someone must fulfill it, and that is Jesus. So by faith, he goes back, by faith in Christ, the law can be fulfilled and credited to you. His righteousness can be credited to you. So by faith in Christ, his work done for us gives us freedom from sin and lets us out of this prison. Verse 23 through 25 says this, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. So it kept us. It, it, it was watching over us until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So law puts us in the prison, and then it takes us through like a work program, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, it educates us. It, it, it lets us know what real life, abundant life, will look like when Christ comes into our life, when we receive him. It's, it's revealing Jesus to us. 
and what freedom looks like and how our lives will be transformed and changed. It's, it's a tutor and it's watching over us. The law acts as a teacher of the revelation of God. We are placed in its care with the goal of knowing God through Christ. Verse 26 and 27 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The point is, we experience God in relationship. We experience him in a relationship. By the promise fulfilled in Christ, we come into that relationship. And and we're empowered to keep the commandments in the Spirit who is given to us when we come into relationship. John 14, 15 says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's really easy to get this verse out of whack. It's not saying... It's not keep the commandments and become sons and daughters, right? We just, it's not by works that we're sons and daughters. It's by faith. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So it's not by keeping the commandments that become sons and daughters. It's not keep the commandments and be righteous. It's only by Christ alone that we can become righteous. And it's not even keep the commandments to prove your love. Ah, that's where we get this one out of whack, isn't it? I will keep the commandments to show God how much I love him. That's not what he says. He says, if you love me, you'll keep the commandments. He's not putting you on the treadmill. He's not making you the gerbil. How many of you guys had a gerbil or anything? And, and I love them to an extent because I usually had to be the guy who cleaned the cages. But it was like at night... They get on that little wheel. Then you move them, you know, somewhere else. And you still hear it. I don't know what it is. Like, parents have weird hearing. Once you have kids, like, it doesn't matter. Something in the house stirs or moves. You're like, bing, I'm awake. Like, something just moved in this house, right? And it comes with children, I think. I don't know. But you have a you have a little rodent as a pet, and he gets put on the wheel, and he just runs and runs, 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 runs. God did not put you on the wheel. He didn't say, here's the commandments now. Show me how much you love me. But that's what we do, isn't it? We jump on the wheel, and we're like, I love you this much. I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a relationship. It's Love God and believe and become sons and daughters. If you love him, your faith is awakened and you just want to be with him. You just want to spend time with him. And in believing and, and coming to the promise, you become a son or daughter of the Most High King. It's love God and he will make you righteous. It's love Jesus and he says, I will give you my righteousness. It's love God and you will keep the commandments. Why? Because it's a joy. You want to do those things. You, you read what he says about abundant life and what it looks like and you say, these guidelines, these parameters are good and I want to live within them. 
I want to live within those boundaries and really experience what life is like. It's love God and experience victory over sin. How often are we striving in our own strength to be victorious over our own flesh? Love God. Submit to Jesus. Love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and the Spirit will work in you, and you will hate the thing that keeps you from Him. He will bring victory. He will help you. He will transform you. You will have experienced victory over sin. It's love God and be filled with the Spirit. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, you just follow the commandments of God and do... No, just love Him, and He'll pour His Holy Spirit into your heart to overflowing. It's love God and be filled with His presence. It's love God and His kingdom will come into your life. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, so I guess I got to get to work to make it happen. No, just love Him. And as you love Him... His kingdom comes because His Spirit's with you. He's working in you. He's transforming you. You're doing the commandments out of joy. And the next thing you know, the kingdom of God is present in front of you. You're seeing Him work. You're seeing miracles. You're seeing things happen. Prayers answered and people coming to faith. Why? Because I'm just loving Jesus. It's love God and His joy in you will be made full. Not your joy in him. His joy in you will be made full. Look at this passage, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Love me. Abide in my love. What you abide in is, is, is a telltale of what you really love. What do you spend most of your time in? And, you know, you've probably heard preachers say, if you look at your checkbook, you know what you spend your money on, and that's what's most important to you. Let me just ask you, what do you abide in? Because my kids don't have money, so is it video games? You abide in video games? I mean, what, what, what are the hobbies you have? Okay, I take that back. Some of my kids have money. They're really good at saving. But what do you abide in? What do you abide in? So we are to abide in Christ. We are to love him. Do you love him? And do you want to spend time with him? Are you abiding in him? That's, that's really the measure of love. And he says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. One, one pastor wrote it this way. He paraphrased it this way. My father's face lights up when he sees me because I'm so special to him. And I'm telling you this so that you will feel how special you are to my Father and to me. Our faces are shining on you with delight. That's how God sees you. Abide in my love. That's how the Father abides. That's how he loves me. I love you that way. Jesus shows up in the Father's face, lights up with delight, and he says, and we do the same with you. Love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what Paul's talking about. Love God and come through the promise, not by works. Works steal your joy. You'll do them if you love Christ because you want to do those, not because you're obligated. You'll want to be transformed. you want to be changed. Why? Because it means I have more Christ in my life. It means I experience him more. It means I'm with him more. I'm walking with him more. So, 
we need to love him. 28 and 29 in our passage says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is so beautiful. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are from. He welcomes all who come by faith. You think, well, his face might light up on others, but not me. No, all who come by faith, he delights in. By faith, we have a new identity, and we become one. Like we, in this room, we become one, one people whom he delights in. And so when you're thinking about that brother or sister that you just can't stand, you need to know that Christ delights in them and his face lights up when he sees them. And he says, I want you to delight in each other, to love each other the way I love you. You are to love one another, which means how do I do that? Well, I better love Jesus more because I need to start loving Jesus more so I can love like Jesus does because Man, I can be honest, I don't do a very good job of loving one another the way Jesus loves me. So we become one. Our identity are heirs in Christ. We are brothers and sisters. We are in the family together. We are placed in Christ. We are placed in eternity because we are sons and daughters of God. In Christ, we find our place in community because we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. We find our place in history because we are part of God's plan that through us his kingdom comes. And then I would add this. So those three points came from a pastor. I would add this. We find our joy before the face of God because we are able to experience the pleasure of God in us. Do you experience the joy of God? Are you full of joy? In just a moment, we're going to take communion, and this is what makes us one. That his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, that he is the fulfillment of the promise. It says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We come saying, Jesus has saved me. His body broken for me. His body, his blood shed for me. I can come into the presence of God because I have a new and living way. I have a mediator. And his face lights up when he sees me. He delights in me. I want to love him more. I want my joy to be made full. Is your joy made full? That's, that's really where I want us to go this morning. Like, what does your relationship with Christ look like? As you come and take the Lord's Supper, would you pray, God, 
may I delight in you the way you delight in me. May my joy be made full. Forgive me of my sins. May I love you more than anything else. May I abide in you so that those other things that I've been abiding in are like rubbish, that I would not want them. I would not long for them, but that I would want you more than those things. Transform me so my joy will be even more full and that Christ will be glorified. What, it, what that is, I don't know for you, but the Spirit will show you. Ask him, what do I delight in more than, than you, Lord? And the Spirit will show you. He is the great revealer of our hearts. And as he reveals it, confess it and say, Lord, no more. Help me this day to love Christ more than that. And come and give thanks for his body and his blood. Now, if you are not a believer, if you have not professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Lord's table is for the church. It's for his family. So we would just ask that you abstain from partaking it. But if you come from a different tradition, different background, and you're like, I don't, I'm not a Baptist, Rob, or whatever, that's fine. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have professed him as your Savior and you have received him as your Savior, then you're part of the church. This is his body and blood shed for you. And so you may come and partake. But if you have not made that commitment, we ask that you abstain. This is a remembrance for the church. Will you stand with me? Will you pray? Father, we come now to this moment and we just think about what Paul has talked about and we just give thanks for your great love towards us, how your face shines upon us. You loved us so much, Father, that you sent your son that his body would be broken, his blood would be spilt so that we would have forgiveness of sin. Jesus, you came and fulfilled the law. You did what we could not do. And so now, Holy Spirit, we ask, is there anything in our life that we love more than you? Reveal that to us. Spirit, as you have revealed areas of our life that we need to surrender, we confess that we need to surrender it. We ask that you would help us to abide in your love, to just love you more, and, and that that thing that you just revealed to us would become less. If it's sin, that it would be eradicated. Set us free from that. May we love you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our body, our strength. And then we come giving thanks for the table together as brothers and sisters, as your sons and daughters. We come and we worship you and we say, as we take this, come, Lord Jesus, come. We long to behold your face and see the radiance of your beauty, and to know that you are delighting in your people as we see you. So we take this proclaiming the return that one day you will come. It's in Christ's name we partake of the Lord's table together. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping him. 
you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our 